Hello and welcome to HipCast, the podcast here to improve hip fracture care. From the Australian and New Zealand Hip Fracture Registry, I'm Research Assistant Neve Ramsey, and to begin this episode, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and work at the ANZHFR. I share this acknowledgement to traditional custodians past, present and emerging across Australia, New Zealand and wherever you may be tuning in from. On today's episode, we will be talking about the Boost Project with Senior Physiotherapist Marie March from Blacktown and Mount Druitt in the Western Sydney Local Health District. Marie is a current clinical lecturer, PhD student, researcher and casual academic at the University of Sydney. She is also the chief investigator for the Boost Project, investigating how hospitals can deliver more frequent exercise programs for inpatients with hip fracture through the implementation science study with physiotherapists and other healthcare workers. So welcome, Marie. Thank you for joining me today on HipCast. Thanks for having me, Nave. To begin, can you briefly share with us um, your professional journey and your current role in the Boost Project? Sure. So I've been a physiotherapist for over 15 years and most of that time has been in Western Sydney in the hospital system. Um, And most of my experience has been in orthopaedics in a mixed elective and trauma context. Um, But more recently, I've uh, turned to outpatient musculoskeletal physio um, and now I'm in a senior physio role in the emergency department. Um, But at some point in my career, when I um, increased my caring responsibilities and went part time, I had time to reflect on Um, some of my clinical experiences and um, how we can improve uh, the patient journey in orthopaedics. And so in 2016, I started a master's by research um, exploring uh, psychological health and recovery from knee replacement. And I'm hoping to submit that uh, thesis at the end of this year. Um, But as part of that PhD journey, I've co-supervised honours students. And one of those projects um, was where the Boost Project was born. So We took uh, high-frequency physio um, as explored uh, in the Hips for Hips study by Lara Kimmel and wanted to implement that in our setting uh, where we don't have a lot of funding or a lot of staff and see whether we could use an alternate workforce to implement high-frequency physio um, supervised by physios. And we wanted to explore the implementation outcomes around that. Uh, So we... Um, have two hospitals collaborating with us as well as the University of Sydney and I'd like to acknowledge our Sydney Health Partners who awarded us an implementation science grant a couple of years ago to support this project. Um, so we're finalising our results and writing up our, our results for publication so we'll just be talking about early results today. Yes, fantastic and for those who are interested in hearing more about the um, hip hip study you can scroll back to episode five with Dr Lara Kimmel to hear more about it. What was the motivation behind the Boost project? And can you briefly outline the study design for our listeners, please? So I guess in many areas of physiotherapy, we don't have strong evidence to support one intervention over another or to support increased intensity of intervention over usual care. Uh, But thanks to Lara Kimmel's work, we do in hip fracture. Um, We know that high frequency um, physio in the acute setting improves overall hospital length of stay. Um, So we wanted to replicate those findings um, but account for our uh, differences in physio service provision. Uh, So we wanted to see if um, high frequency exercise using an alternate workforce in patients after hip fracture was safe acceptable, feasible, effective, and cost-effective. And we thought that implementation science was the best fit for this kind of work because we've got efficacy demonstrated already and we wanted to implement it in the real-world clinical setting. 
Um, and we refer to the Sachs Institute's translational research framework. And so if we already have efficacy, then we're moving on to replicability and adaptability. Um, so we did a pre-post mixed methods implementation evaluation with acute hospital length of stay as our primary outcome. And we used non-parametric methods to compare our data to our reference cohort. And I'd like to acknowledge the um, ANZ hip fracture registry um, and the data that we already collect through that initiative um, to provide our reference cohort. Um, and I need to acknowledge our very hardworking nursing staff who've been very diligent in collecting that data for many years um, and are contributing to the registry. And I think the other thing to consider is um, the goals of healthcare. Um, are not often aligned with the goals of research, but when we look at Don Berwick's triple aim of healthcare, so considering patient outcomes, patient experience of healthcare and restraining financial costs, we need to somehow align those uh, with our research. And so we've made sure that our primary outcome, uh, acute length of stay, has important implications for um, that triple aim as well. So often length of stay is used as a surrogate measure for costs, but also patient flow within a hospital is really important as well. Um, and we've used mixed methods as a way to really capture all of those kind of triple aims that we've talked about um, and to make sure that the experience of our staff and patients is really well illustrated um, as well and to really understand things like acceptability and fidelity so that when we scale up for Boost 2.0, uh, we have a really good idea of what will work and what won't work. Thank you. And which patients have been recruited for this study and who was excluded? How many facilities were included? Could you tell us a bit more about that, please? Yeah, so we recruited people who, after the hip fracture, had opera fixation um, and they needed to present within our 10-week study period at one of our two hospitals in Sydney. Um, we excluded people who were likely to have a different acute care pathway after their surgery. So at our sites, that were people who were already in residential aged care who were not candidates for inpatient rehabilitation, um, people who were limited to touch weight-bearing or non-weight-bearing after their surgery in either their arms or legs, and people who were only able to transfer from bed to chair before their injury, so not able to mobilise a distance. Um, we really wanted to be as inclusive as, inclusive as possible, um, knowing that a high proportion of these patients have cognitive impairment um, and knowing that particularly one of the communities um, our population is drawn from has really high levels of cultural diversity and low health literacy. And we thought that um, documenting their experience and their engagement with the intervention was really important if we were to translate this to be a permanent uh, change to practice. And um, in the end, we only needed to exclude one eligible patient uh, for safety reasons that related to uh, behaviour. Um, so it was it was really helpful to show that it is possible to do uh, research um, in patients that are really diverse. And I think um, although it's tempting to... Um, pursue patients who only speak English and uh, fit into our really strict criteria for various reasons. I think in the real world, we need to account for that diversity and that variation. Thank you. So I guess let's talk about those early results. What have been the major findings for patients with hip fractures? So I guess um, when we're doing implementation science, um, we're looking at implementation planning as well as the kind of patient-related outcomes. And so even though they're often not considered major findings, 
they're kind of the keys to success um, or not success, if you like. Um, and so we use the consolidated framework for implementation research to guide that planning stage. Um, and the big choices that we gave our sites were to choose who would be the alternate workforce and what training needs they would have. And both sites chose to use uh, pre-registration physiotherapy students. Um, and the two big training needs were around manual handling as well as identification of the deteriorating patient, uh, which is often called the tech training in the health system, um, as well as a brief overview of the project. Um, and they all committed to providing high frequency intervention on the weekdays with opportunistic um, intervention on the weekends because of staffing. Um, so the other important thing, uh, in contrast to Lara Kimmel's study, is that we modified the intervention slightly. So we provided one physiotherapist supervised mobility practice per day and two opportunities for exercise per day and sit to stand was the core exercise we used. But we acknowledged that in our frail population with high fatigue and high pain levels at this point, um, we wanted to give patients a choice to participate without having to sit to stand if they didn't want to or couldn't. So we provided chair and bed-based options um, for patients as well. And our early findings were really encouraging. So we had fidelity that was well over 70%. Um, and I need to acknowledge all of our clinical staff and alternate workforce who worked hard to achieve that. Um, and during that study period, uh, both of our sites would expect to have two to three uh, NOF patients present per week. And one of the weekends during our study, we had seven in one weekend. Um, so our teams worked so hard to achieve that high fidelity despite that uh, influx of caseload. Um, our median length, acute hospital length of stay, which was our primary outcome measure, improved to seven days. Um, and that was compared to a reference cohort of uh, nine to 10 days. Um, and the other important thing is that our variation improved as well. So our interquartile range improved from seven to 14 days to five to 11 days. And so when we're counting individual days in the health system as really important for patient flow and cost, um, that variation is almost just as important as the median improvement. And when we looked at implementation outcomes, we didn't have any safety concerns and patient, staff and carers reported positive experiences and were really satisfied with the intervention, um, as well as management, who ultimately are the ones who decide on service provision. So we're really encouraged both by the patient outcomes as well as the implementation outcomes. Fantastic. And so how do you feel the results of this study can impact the care of the patients we see in hospital with hip fractures? Yeah, so I guess one of uh, my uh, driving factors behind my clinical practice as well as my research is equity. So making sure all patients are supported to achieve the same outcomes. And that's in contrast to providing equal services, which don't actually account for patient needs, um, particularly if they're diverse uh, in their cognition or their cultural background. Um, and there's great variation in funding and workforce provision across um, the whole health sector in Australia and around the world. And so our findings that a trained supervised alternate workforce can safely and effectively provide high frequency exercise um, is really helpful to know that our patients can achieve similar outcomes um, regardless of the funding and workforce constraints. And I think that Tweaking the intervention to focus on sit to stand um, is really reassuring because I think physios often perceive patients who are unable to walk or find it difficult as almost a failure. And 
if we can provide effective treatment as a standard, it's, it shouldn't be perceived as a failure. It's an efficacious uh, treatment that we should be looking to engage with. Um, and we can provide um, other staff and families as well who'd like to provide other opportunities for practice with patients um, a safe way of giving them an effective uh, treatment um, and with the right support as well. So it's really encouraging that we can achieve these equal outcomes um, regardless of the context and um, addressing some of the barriers uh, to physio service provision that have been around in the past. Although they sound like, although they're very early results, as you said, they sound very promising and exciting in the hip practice space for our, improving our patient outcomes. Uh, are there any aspects of this project that you would change if you were doing it again? Yeah, I think, look, COVID has been a spanner in the works for many of us in the research space as well as our clinicians, and it did impact how many patients we could recruit and how much power our study has. And it also, we were limited with the duration of the implementation phase um, for funding and time constraints. Um, so, you know, it would be lovely to do that bigger and better, and hopefully we will next time. Um, and I think as a clinician researcher at heart, I really love seeing research being embedded in the clinical setting and being driven by those clinical priorities. So being able to do a parallel study exploring how we've built research capacity uh, in the, the staff involved in physio um, and how that changed during the course of the project, I think would be really helpful uh, for future planning and how we do this bigger and better, especially because hospitals that do research generally have better outcomes for patients. And so if we can show um, improved cost effectiveness with our researchers, then everyone's winning, the services as well as the patients and the staff involved. Where to now? So what aspects of this research do you think uh, you'll explore in the future or how will you continue to go with wrapping this study up? We're hoping to get the manuscript out at some point this year, um, but we're really hoping to reproduce uh, Boost um, in other settings. So particularly in rural settings where there's a lot of barriers to workforce recruitment as well as retention. Um, and so certainly feel free to reach out if you're in a rural setting listening to this and you'd like to be involved in Boost 2.0, um, because I think there's a lot of um, flexibility with the way that we've done this implementation. So. Because sit to stand is our core exercise, there's great scope for other disciplines to be involved in providing this practice. So it doesn't need to be a physio or a physio student. It could be an occupational therapist. It could be nursing staff. I think there's also scope to extend it to healthcare workers who are, say, wardsmen or ward people. Um, and if we take that kind of task-based or competency approach to the intervention, rather than staying in our you know, discipline silos, um, that's a way to improve the implementation um, and ensure safety and equity um, rather than um, letting those barriers stay there. Um, I think given the high numbers of frail elderly patients admitted to our hospitals um, every year, if we can explore how high frequency intervention looks like for those people with, who are frail elderly without a hip fracture, um, you know, we need to reduce not just their length of stay for their own good, but also the hospital um, acquired complications. Um, that would be another way where we can see these findings um, really improve outcomes for patients and hospitals. Very exciting space. So thank you for joining me today to discuss your early results on the Boost Project, Marie. It's really great to hear. You're welcome.